Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and study your word. We ask you to bless this evening, give us guidance, and let us see what you would have us to see in this story. In your son's name, amen. Judges chapter 14, starting at verse 1. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among your, all my people that you would go and take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for the time of the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyard of the Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against them. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, and he told, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time, he returned to take her and returned aside and turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took the rub in his, in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast for so used the young men to do. And it came to pass when they saw him that they brought him 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If you can certainly declare it unto me within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. But if you cannot declare it unto me, you shall give me 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth your riddle that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you called us to take that we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Do you... You do but hate me and love me not. You have put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to you, Behold, I have not told it to my father or my mother, and shall I tell it to you? And she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her because she lay sore upon him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down into Ascalon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. All right. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about uh, Judges 13, and we talked about the birth of uh, Samson being predicted, and that he was to be a Nazarite from birth. And remember, a Nazarite means he's, he's not going to have his head shaved, he's not going to uh, touch anything dead, and he's not going to drink any 
uh, wine or, or alcohols. Okay, so now we're going to, and that's the last thing we heard. Next thing we know, he's old enough to get married. <laughs> All right, in this, in this uh, uh, chapter 14. And it says, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman of the, in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath, the daughter of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. All right, this is an Israelite looking to get married to a Philistine. Big problems in this. That's not supposed to happen. They're supposed to marry within their own people. And Samson goes down into Timnath, and there he sees a woman that he falls in lust for. He's going to call it love, but it's going to be basically lust, uh, as, as he tells it. He tells his mom and dad, go get this woman for me. And you got to remember, in that day and age, you didn't go out courting like we do nowadays. You didn't call the, the person up on the phone and ask for a date. Your, your, your father went and talked to the father of the other person, you know, and an arrangement was made to bring, bring the two together in, into marriage. Uh, no courtships like we have in our, in our day. Uh, it was just kind of a, almost like a business arrangement. Dad, go, go talk to this person and, and make the arrangements. I want her. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing. And his father and his mother said, you know, isn't there a woman among the daughters of, of our, your own brethren or even among our own people, our own tribe? You know, you can't fall in love with one, uh, uh, an Israelite or at least one, you know, person from our own town. And, you know, this is, so, this is a serious business to them. They, remember, have seen an angel. The angel has told them that he's, gonna, that he's a special child and he's going to be a Nazarite separated unto God and the very first thing he's doing on the very first thing we hear is he wants to get married to a heathen woman <laughs> and this is going to be something that's very distressing to his parents okay normally an Israelite boy was supposed to marry an Israelite girl even if they're not sanctified to God and he's been sanctified to God even beyond that and his answer in verse 3 is um Get her for me, for she pleases me well. And in the Hebrew, this literally means that she pleases my eye. She's beautiful. Whatever he considered beautiful, he, he was looking at her and saying, this is felt the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. I want her. He's looking at the outside. He's looking at the outside. He's not looking at who she is, the inside, or anything. He hasn't even, we're going to find out later on, he hasn't even talked to her yet. Okay, he just saw her and says, that's my wife, go get her. You know, I, I want her to be my wife. And you know, this is the way people even today kind of are many times. They see something and they want it. Doesn't matter what's on the inside. Doesn't matter what the, whether they follow God or don't follow God. They just see something and they immediately want it. And this is Samson. He's a man basically of flesh. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to have any relationship to God, and he's not going to have any kind of relationship to God until the very end of his life when he kind of realizes what's been going on. And all he says is, you know, I like, the, I like her looks. Go get her. And not a great ba basis for a marriage. And yet, right now, he's infatuated. He's infatuated with her. But his father and mother, it says in verse 4, knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So his father and mother don't understand what's going on 
but God has a plan. All right? And it says, for God, they knew not that it was of the Lord. And this does not mean that God wanted him to go marry this woman, but God was going to use his desire to cause problems and start problems with the Philistines. Okay? And Samson's going to have a whole lot of things that are not done righteously or even godly as he stirs up trouble with the Philistines all through his life. And this is going to be his first one. Uh, God's going to use his evil desires to bring about the deliverance of Israel. And he's going to use Samson as that individual. And so God has got a plan. He's going to stir up the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. And he's going to use Samson. And Samson is not the most godly man in the Bible. Matter of fact, he's about the exact opposite, and God still uses Samson, which really can go to tell us that God can use anybody. And if you don't believe that he can use anybody, remember he used a donkey to talk to Balaam and correct Balaam. Uh, So he can use anything, not just anybody, but he can use anything. So here we are, Samson. Verse 5, And Samson went down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyard of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father and his mother what he had done. You've got to picture this. This is a young lion. It's not a strong, full-sized lion. And it roars at, at Samson. And, you know, it doesn't say it attacked him, but it, it's, it's irritating Samson. And Samson tears it in half with his bare hands. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson. Wasn't Samson a big person? I was just getting ready to say that I don't believe Samson was a big person. He had power because of God's Spirit upon him. And if he was a big, muscle-bound brute, everything he did would not have seemed so amazing to people. Now, I can't prove this, I mean, because it doesn't say. But I have this picture that, that Samson was some kind of scrawny runt of a guy. Maybe not a runt, but you know, he was a scrawny guy. When, he tore, when all of a sudden he tore a lion in half, this was a big deal. When he carries the gates of the city later on, out of the, off the walls and up the hill, this is a big deal. And it's just my opinion. And it may, he may have been a big, brawny, muscular guy, but I don't really think he was. I think because it was God's spirit it made a big deal to him. Here's this little guy, you know, maybe normal. Let's say he's normal, you know. He's not a big muscle-bound guy. He's not somebody you're going to picture taking the, the uh, ripping a lion in, into two pieces or taking the gates off of a wall and carrying them up to the top of the mountain. He's not that type of man, in my, in my opinion. Otherwise, it would have been just, oh, you know, yeah, sure. You know, pretty, still a pretty good deed, but, you know, look at him. He's a big muscle-bound guy. He should be able to do that. And I don't think that's what, what we saw with Samson. And I could be wrong, and that's in my opinion. Uh, nothing in the Bible tells us his appearance, other than the fact that he had long hairs that, long hair that Delilah is going to cut at the end of his life. It appears to me that this is something that he's not this muscle-bound uh, behemoth of a man that you would look at and say, yeah, well, of course he took the, the, the gate off the, off the wall. Of course he killed all those Philistines with the jawbone of the donkey. Of course he did these things. You know? if, and I think because the way they tell the story makes it sound like this was something that was kind of bizarre. It was not something people thought would happen. 
And that's why I personally believe that he was not a big muscle-bound uh, man. And I could be wrong. It doesn't matter. It, <laughs> I just think it's, it, God tends to do things that says, I'm going to be what's lifted up. And if he, you know, the muscle-bound man was lift, you know, did things, he'd be lifted up. Uh, God delivered the people through Gideon by, by whittling down the outnumbered you know, 30,000 men uh, the, that he gathered to, down to 300 to fight over 130,000 people. And God wants it to be, look at me, I'm the one doing it, not look at the person who is doing the deliverance. So uh, this, is, this is what I think about him, and it may or may not be. Uh, but he kills a lion, but he doesn't tell his father and mother what he had done. Now I'm wondering, did he know that he was a Nazarite from birth or not? I don't know. It may appear that he was, but what's this problem that we have? Who remembers from last week's lesson? If you're a Nazarite and somebody even drops dead next to you, you're unclean and have to start all over. Okay? He has literally killed a lion. So he's unclean. So he has he broken a vow of the Nazarite vow already. And he wasn't supposed to touch anything. He's not even supposed to touch anything dead, and he has actually killed something. And again, remember we read it from, from Numbers that if anything, if you're even standing next to somebody that dies and they touch you, then you have to off, make offerings, get your hair, head shaved, and start all over again. So he's violated already within the first six verses, he's already violated one of his Nazarite vows. Does that include the women to shave their yes, head? Yes, if, if, if a woman takes a Nazarite vow, then she would have to do the same thing. All right. And then he went down... And now for the first time, he talks with the woman, and she still pleases him. So, and again, this is the same thing. He's being pleased by his eyes. He may not even have heard a word she said because he is so infatuated with her that, that he's probably not paying any attention to her. And when we deal with sight, we're in trouble. The just shall walk, live by faith, not by sight. And too often, we as Christians tend to want to walk by sight, not by faith. And when bad things happen to us, we'll look and say, or appear to be bad things happening to us, we'll be saying, oh God, this is miserable. How could you let this thing go on? And God says, walk by faith. I've got a plan. I've got a plan, and yet so often we want to walk by sight. God, I just don't understand. I don't see how this could be from you. And God says, I've got a plan. He has a plan for Samson. And that's what that... that uh, First said in verse 4 that his parents didn't understand that this was a plan from God. God has a plan. And in verse 8, And after a time he returned to take her and, re and turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lamb, lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he did not tell them that he had taken it, the honey out of the carcass of the lion. All right, so in verse 7, they meet down. They, they meet the woman that he's infatuated with. They, the parents end up talking. They make an agreement of, for marriage. They return back to Israel for, for a period of time, and it doesn't say how long a time that was. Long enough for honey to be started, to be, the bees to make a honeycomb and, and hive in the lion. Well, because this, again, it's another violation of his, or, or re-violation of, of his... Well, that's not even allowed, but, uh, 
But just touching again, a carcass, it's not all that bad to take the honey from that. People do it all the time. But here we see he comes, he turns aside, and he finds a swarm of bees, it says, which means quite a few, and honey, which means there's a honeycomb. This is not, he's not reaching in and grabbing a whole handful of, of honey and walking around dripping honey and giving it to his parents. He went in and he probably took the whole, he might have taken the whole hive, or he broke the hive and, he, and he's using the whole honeycomb. And uh, honey from the honeycomb is really uh, tasty. Mm -hmm. And that's something he could share with pretty, pretty much ease. And it's not going to be quite as messy as trying to grab a whole handful of, of honey. So he's taken, he's taken pieces of the hive, okay, of the honeycomb. And it's very tasty, easy to get by, and not, not overly messy. And so he takes it, he picks this up. So again, now he's, he's touched the lion now twice. The, the first one was bad enough. He killed the lion. He redid it. Okay. Now he's gone in and he's touched the dead lion that is rotted and, and all of that. And he's gone in and he's taken the honey out of this lion. And he shares it with his parents who don't ask him where he got the honeycomb from. Sometimes I think maybe his parents didn't want to know what he was doing half the time. Because uh, you know, remember, they, weren't, they didn't seem to be overly spiritual in the beginning. Uh, they get the message from the angel that they're going to have a child. And the first thing that, that the, the husband says is, we're going to die. <laughs> we, you know, we saw an angel. And the wife goes, well, why would he have told us we were going to have a child and how to raise him if we were going to die? You know, she seems to have a little more spirituality than the husband does. And, and each step along here, it seems like they're not really wanting to know. They want to do things by tradition. And this is a sad thing. There are a lot of people who just want to do things by tradition. There's a lot of Christians who just do things by tradition. Well, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to come to church. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And, and I've got to do that. And there's no real life in behind what they believe. And Christianity is truly a relationship with God where it's not we've got to do things, but God, I want to do what you, what you want. God, I want to have this relationship with you. And I want to serve you as best I can, not I've got to. And this is, this is a, what I'm seeing from his parents. You know, they, they're in this got to mode. And Samson's doing whatever he feels like. He's not even looking at following God at all. Uh, and we're going to see that as we go on in the story. He doesn't recognize that God is his strength. God is his power. But it says that he tore this lion in half because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And all of a sudden, he got strong. Kind of like David when he fought Goliath, God's going to deliver you into my hands. Now, David knew how to use the sling and all of that, but, he's, but God is the one that took uh, and gave him the power to do this. And we're seeing this in uh, Samson's life. And so he gives his parents a, a little bit of the honey and the honeycomb, and they're enjoying it. And honey on a trip is a wonderful thing, especially in their day. Very sweet, very tasty. And on the honeycomb, it's it's pretty easy. You, you take a little bite of the honeycomb and break the, break the comb up, and you can get the, get the honey out of it. I don't know if anybody's ever had honeycomb, but honeycomb is really delicious. I've seen it, but I never. Yeah, really delicious. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so it used to be that young men to do. And it came to pass when they, they saw him, they, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Okay, he goes down for the, wedding, for the wedding ceremony, and on a wedding ceremony in that day and age, there was a big feast. 
and you celebrated. And apparently this feast is going to last 14 days, and the Jewish wedding it lasts seven days. But Samson comes down with his mom and dad, and he doesn't seem to have a friend to his name to bring with him to his wedding. He gets there, and they're getting ready to throw a feast, and he has no friends to feast with. Uh, you know, that would be a very sad thing. It would be like our, uh, being married in our day and not having a best man. Okay, and that's kind of where this is at. You know, he's come down, there's no friends. Now, I don't know if that's because Samson had no friends or no friends would go down with him into Philistia for, to, for him to marry a Philistine. But one thing we notice about Samson all through his life is he seems to be a loner. He does things on his own, his way, and does not seem to have any friends. So it could be possible he had no friends to take down with him for his marriage. And, or at least none that were willing to go to Philistia for him to, to watch him make the mistake of marrying a Philistine. One way or the other it doesn't really tell us, but he comes down with no friends for his party. So apparently his wife's family provides 30 friends for him. Okay, Samson, here's your friends for you to, for you to have a party with. Uh, I can't even imagine what that would be like to have a party with people that you don't know and you're celebrating. And yet that's what they do. They give him 30, 30 people to celebrate with him for, for, for your, your marriage. And he's never seen them before, doesn't know them. And they're going to be his, his friends for, for two weeks. Uh, what friends do drunken parties bring together? Samson was one of those kind of friends. Uh, and we're going to see here, you know, they provide him with the companions. Poor Samson. You know, sometimes I feel sorry for Samson when I look at his life. You know, it's, uh, he's violating all the rules of the Nazarite. He breaks everything. He doesn't seem to understand the God, God who's going to use him to deliver Israel. And he has this loner life. He's like an outcast. Like it is almost like an outcast. Uh, I don't know if it's because he chose to be that way. Maybe, maybe because his parents separated and he had no friends. Maybe because he was strange with long hair, you know and couldn't do the things that they normally would do. Who knows why? But it seems to be apparent that he has nobody to go with him to get when he gets married. And to me, that's just a sad thing. When I look at Samson's life, I see a, a life of a very sad person. And so he gets 30 friends uh, to party with that he doesn't, doesn't know. And Samson decides to give them a riddle. And he says, I will give you a riddle unto you and if you declare it unto me within the seven days of the feast and find it out I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of raiments and these sheets are the outer garments that they would use as covers at night so basically it's going to say he's giving you something to sleep with and to wear all day and so one for each of them and he goes but if you cannot declare it unto me you shall give me 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments you know I don't know what Samson was going to do with 30 <laughs> 30 changes of garments and 30 blankets, but you, know, he's, he's, you see here a pride and arrogance in him. You know, I, I am smart enough to give you a, a riddle you're not going to guess, and even when I do that, you're going to give me more than I need to survive. And you know, this, is, this is Samson. He's, he's this type of person. He, he lets his emotions run him. He sees a woman that he wants to marry, and he says, go get her. Later on, he's going to get angry and he's going to burn fields. Uh, he's going to be, you know, take a gate off the wall. He's, he's going to 
teased Delilah with his, the source of his strength. There's all kinds of wonderful things that he's going to do. And I use that wonderful tongue-in-cheek because he is not a nice guy. He is not a godly man. And yet God is going to use him. God is going to use him to deliver Israel. And it says, you know, and they say, okay, give us your riddle. Let us hear it. Let us hear that riddle. And in verse 14, he says unto them, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not, after three days, expound upon the riddle. Okay? And this is a riddle that, you know, really has no sense unless you were Samson who killed the lion and, and found the honey in the lion. There's no, there's no reason anybody would know this riddle. Samson has it right. Nobody's going to guess this riddle. All right? This is, there's just no way. And he knew that, too. And he knew this coming in. This is not, you know, the no normal riddle that people might have heard someplace, you know. Uh, this is a riddle that is totally based in his life, and there's no way anybody else could figure this riddle out without knowing what he has done. And remember, he hasn't even told his mother and father that he's killed this lion and got the honey from it. So he hasn't told anybody where this, where this thing comes from and where, the, where this riddle is coming from. And they ponder it for three days. And then it says, verse 15, And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may declare unto us the, the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you called us to take, to take what we have? Is it not so? So they go up to her and say, Entice, seduce. Seduce him to tell us the riddle. And... You know, well, I don't know whether she loved him or not. It doesn't really tell us anything about whether she liked him or loved him or even cared about him. But they go, if you don't do this, we're going to burn your father's house and you with fire. These are ni nice companions that they picked for Samson. Of course, they're desperate at this point. They all have to give him a, a change of clothing and an, and, a, and an outer garment, which is not cheap. Okay, it's not going to cost them near as much as it will cost Samson to pay 30 of them. They each have to, they just have to do one each. But they're coming in and they're threatening her. Now, it's obvious that they didn't pick very good friends for Samson either. All right? Because it says at the very end of this, you know, have you called us to take what we have? You know, you guys called us to be his friends and be his party members and now... You're setting us up to lose, lose our stuff. And they threaten her. And this is quite a situation when we think about it. Samson comes in, he makes a wager with them that they probably should never have made in the first place. And they will get all bent out of shape and, and threaten Samson's bride. So Samson didn't know that his wife to be Oh, I'm not sure who he assumed brought them. Uh, these are just his companions. These are the people he's partying with. You know, they might have just gone into the highway and byways and called the first 30 people they found. We don't, we don't know if these are people they know. We don't, there's nothing here. There's not a lot of details in certain parts of this. We don't know how well her and her family know them. We don't know if they just walked into the town square and say, hey, we need 30 people to celebrate, celebrate with the bridegroom for, for, for our wedding celebration and pulled them out. Uh, and that could very well be what they did. They just went down to the town square and said, we need 30 people. You know, we need some guys to, to be the bridegrooms for my, for my husband. 
because uh, we're having a party and he didn't bring anybody with him. And yeah, this is, again, this shows you the sadness of this whole affair. It kind of wonders what, where Samson's wife is, you know, potential wife is with all of this. But you know, they get these guys and they're not very nice guys. And they say, well, you better seduce your husband and get him to tell you this or we're going to kill you and your family. And they're gonna do it with fire. And so we have a interesting development going on here. Um, Samson, the friendless Samson with no friends to party with, gets friends to party with who then threaten his future wife. It's definitely not a happy feast. You know, we don't, we're not seeing a happy, happy marriage celebration here. And, uh, and then in verse 16, and Samson's wife wept before him and said, you do but hate me and you love me not. You have put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and you haven't told it to me. You know, Samson's going to get a lot of this. He doesn't pick great women because we're going to see the same thing from Delilah. Uh, and he's pretty dense. He never understands. He, you know, when he gets to Delilah, he should have learned his lesson from this first woman playing games with him with tears. Uh, but obviously, for as strong as he gets and as val valiant as he gets, women's tears get to him. And, uh, and he, there she's crying. She's whining to him the whole time. You, know, you, you, you haven't even told me the riddle. How, how could you not tell me the riddle? And Samson's answer is, I haven't even told my mother and my father. And this is the idea of, you know, my mother and father right now are closer to me than you are. You're going to be my wife, but my mother and father right now are closer to me, and I haven't, I haven't even told them the riddle. Why would I tell you? You know, I would tell my parents before I'm going to tell you. Now, that's not really the thing you want to tell to your, to your bride. You know, uh, I really don't care what you think. I, I you know, I'm closer to my family. I tell them before I tell you anything. I would say, well, they married them and not me. You know, yeah, well, that's probably exactly what she should have said. Uh, but you can see this whole thing is going on. Samson, just from this statement alone, isn't ready to be married. He's not ready to make a commitment to this person. Uh, she, she is apparently not fully committed to him either because she's willing to sell him out because once they get married the agreement is that you know that she that he's given away the stuff that belongs to her so we see all kinds of interesting things here we see the short-sightedness of the flesh we see the short-sightedness of of not doing things god's way we see that samson's not really ready to be married even though he's in in basically luster in, 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 with this woman uh, she doesn't appear to be ready, you know, ready to be married either because she's willing to sell him out. And these friends of Samson are ready to kill his wife and, and her family if she doesn't cooperate with them. And I, this is another reason why I kind of feel that Samson's not a real big brawny man because they're not afraid, they don't appear to be afraid of Samson. Okay? If Samson was a muscle-bound you know, uh, weightlifter, there's no way they'd be trying to pull this thing because if they burn down his family, they're going to be, they'd be in fear of, you know, getting their butts kicked, uh, whooped a little bit. So this is again another reason why I don't think Samson's a really strong, muscle-bound guy. He's, he's average to, to puny, and these people are like, we can do anything we want. We can threaten his, his wife and his in-laws, and nothing's going to happen because what's he going to do about it? You know, what's this? And not only. 
is he probably not strong and muscle-bound, but he, he's also an Israelite who is under dominion. They're the rulers. Okay, so he's technically a slave, a vassal. So what's he going to do? Even if he was a muscle-bound man, what's he going to do? Is he going to harm us? When, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go get a bunch of Israelites and punish them. So this is the situation we're building in, and that God is brewing a major issue from all of this. And, uh, and she wept before him for seven days. And she's having a real happy wedding, too. Okay, she's in tears, she's weeping, she's whining. She's not looking forward to this life of bliss as, as, a, as a wife uh, coming up. She is just in tears for seven days. This is why we say we've got a 14-day party going on here. Because uh, it was seven days when she started, and she weeps for seven days. And poor Samson, yeah, he finally gives in. And pretty much if somebody whines at you for seven days, if you even think about being a mother or a father and your kids whine at you for, seven, for several days in a row, you finally oftentimes will give in. That or you'll beat them <laughs> one way or the other. But the whining can get on, get on your nerves. And it doesn't take long for somebody to get on your nerves if they're just whining the whole time and crying the whole time. And here she is for seven days, and he finally tells her the riddle. Now, in his mind, he's telling his wife the riddle, and she just, she's just wanting to know. He is really not expecting her to run out and tell, tell the, the, his companions that he made this bet against the riddle. He's just finally giving in to his wife and saying, okay, fine, I love you. I'll hear, here, here's, the, here's the answer to the riddle. And verse 18. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? So they go, we know, we know the answer. Honey, honey from a lion. And again, this is a riddle that nobody could have known uh, without knowing Samson's story. There's no way that they could have known this. And he said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And this is kind of, fun, kind of funny sounding. Um, Did he call his wife a heifer? Yeah. <laughs> um, if you had not plowed, and this means devised evil against. Yeah. Okay, that's not, yeah. not quite as bad as, it, as that part sounds. But he, but he does call his potential wife a, a heifer. Yeah. Uh, but you've also got to think about this. In an agricultural husbandman er, uh, environment, a heifer is very prized. It's almost as prized as your prized bull. Mm -hmm. So this is actually quite a term of endearment in one sense. Because this is, this, she's very precious. She's, she's very valuable. The heifer is not the cow, the milk cow. The heifer is the one that is has not been mated yet with the steer, has not been, and it has some beauty and all of that. Um, yeah, she cried for seven days, so she's... Well, they don't celebrate till the last day of the feast anyway. Uh, but he's saying, you know, you took advantage of her, and you found, uh, or you would not have found out my riddle. Now it's Samson's turn to be angry. And he's, we're going to find Samson has a tremendous temper. Uh, very bad temper. And it says, verse 19, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Number 12 time, the second time the Spirit of the Lord's come upon him. 
And the first time was the lion just roaring at him and, and threatening him. Now the spirit of the Lord coming upon him and he went down to Ascalon, which is one of the chief cities of Philistia. And he killed 30 men, took their clothes and their outer garments and he gave it to those that took and got his, got his uh, riddle. So Samson, when he made this bet, did not have the money to go buy the clothes. So he goes and kills 30 yeah, Philistines. Another, another wrong thing he did. Well, okay, he's now touched That's dead things again. He now has 30 dead, dead carcasses that he's touched. Okay, and then not only does he kill them, he strips them of their, out, their, their clothing and their, and their gar, outer garments, and he gives them to the men that he made this bet with. Samson has violated now the same part of his, his Nazarite oath of not touching the dead. Okay, he touched them to kill them, and then he touched them, the actual dead bodies. It was bad enough that he killed them. Then he had to touch their carcasses to strip off the spoil. 30 times. 30 times, yes, yeah. Yeah, one for each one of them, and he's, done, and he's touched them twice, once to kill them and once to strip off their, and plus the lion, so he's uh, twice. So he's at 62 touches of dead things. Uh, he's violated his Nazarite vow just a little bit. Okay, and yet God has patience, has patience with him and is not going to say, okay, you're, you're, I'm through with you. How patient is God with us? Even when we do crazy, dumb things, God still is patient enough, just as he is with Samson. And this is one of the reasons I love the story of Samson. And not just one time, but 30 times. Yeah. And this isn't even going to be the beginning of this. He's going to, he's going to be violating the, the touching dead a lot during his life. And you, you think also he was just at a wedding feast which these feasts included alcohol for 14 days. So I do not believe that he stayed sober for, for 14 days, uh, especially not with friends who weren't going to try to keep him sober. Uh, they're wanting the answer to this riddle. They're probably helping him get drunk, hoping that in his drunkness he will get, blurt out the answer to his riddle. So we can almost say for sure that he's violated two of his oaths already in the speculative on the, on the alcohol one, but I do believe that he celebrated during this, during this feast and he had just a little bit of alcohol uh, uh, and violated his, two of his oaths. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. I'm sure he did. So 14 days in a party uh, with friends that aren't really friends to keep him sober, that would be very sure that he, and it doesn't say that he got drunk, but I'm pretty sure he did. All right. Uh, and again, that's speculation, and it's 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 a thought that may or may not be true. Yeah. And then it says his his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. He didn't even stay on the last day of the feast of the wedding. The husband, the bride, and the groom got together and consummated their marriage. He before sunrise went out to Ascalon, killed these people, came back, and never consummated his marriage because he gave through the, basically probably threw the garments at him and then went to his dad's house in his anger. He's too angry to go sleep with his wife. Okay. Uh, and verse 20, but Samson's wife was given to his companion whom he had used as his friend. <laughs> 
All right, Samson doesn't want her anymore. We've had a big party. Okay, who wants her? Who, who wants her? She's, had her? she's had her wedding feast. We're going to give her to somebody. And one of the 30 guys stood up to become the, the husband of this woman that they had threatened. Now, this is, Samson's story is not a happy story. Uh, and so Samson now has killed 30 Philistines. He has lost his wife that he had fallen in love with. And all because, and basically because he got angry. Right? How many times are things done in anger that have long-term repercussions? Uh, people oftentimes have done that. They've killed people in their anger. They've said things that they shouldn't, that they wish they hadn't have said in their anger. Anger is something that destroys. Now, the Bible tells us that we can be angry and sin not, but most people, when they get angry, sin. It's just part of what happens. And usually what happens when we're angry, there's two reasons why we can be angry. We can be angry at somebody for doing harm to somebody else, or we can be angry because they hurt us. I will tell you, if you're angry because they hurt you, you're never going to have righteous anger. You're, you're going to sin. Okay, just automatically because you're trying to defend yourself. And that anger will never, ever be righteous. If you're angry because somebody else has been harmed, it has a potential to be righteous anger because now you're trying to defend somebody else who's being hurt and then that is protection of them and that can be righteous. Jesus got angry at the money changers in the temple and, and drove them out with a whip. Uh, I can guarantee he was not being nice to them. That whip probably touched more than one person as he chased them out. And many of them might have been cracked, you know, just a crack of the whip over their heads, but some of them got touched by that whip because he was jealous for his father's house that they were making a den of thieves. And you've got to remember, when Jesus did that, they were coming in. People were coming in to worship God. They were bringing in their lamb that they had brought with them from wherever they had come, and they'd pick the best lamb in their, in their flock, and they would get there, and they'd go, oh, they'd find something. They'd look it over until they found something, a little tiny scar, uh, one hair that wasn't the right color, and say, you can't give this lamb. You've got you've to buy one here, and we've got lots of them over here. They're, they're exorbitantly priced, but we've got lots of pre-approved lambs. You just buy one of our lambs, and you can go in and worship God all you want. And God and Jesus got angry. People coming to worship God, being taken advantage of, being cheated. Then they would come in with their money. If they didn't have enough money, they would, they'd have sold their lamb and say, well, buy a lamb in, in Jerusalem. And they'd get there and go, oh, you can't, you can't use that Roman money. You've got to use temple money. And they would change their money out at a very high rate. Then say, okay, well, now, now, you can buy, now you can buy your lamb from us. It's overpriced as well. So they cheated them on the fact that they couldn't use their money because they needed temple money. And then they cheated them on the, on the lambs and, the, and everything that they bought. Jesus got angry because people were keeping others from worshiping God. Righteous anger. Somebody's being hurt. Somebody's being harmed. We get upset because that's what's happening. Now, that doesn't mean just because you're upset that somebody else is being hurt that you're going to stay righteous. You can still get unrighteous and, and let your temper get the best of you and say and do things that you shouldn't do. And here, 
Samson gets so angry that he just leaves the wedding feast and never consummates his, consummates his marriage. And in the process, loses the woman. So he didn't, so he didn't get married then at that wedding? No, because he didn't finish, he didn't finish the consummation. Uh, and again, we take this, and we talk about this a lot during the Christmas time when we talk about Mary and Joseph. In an, Isra in an Israelite wedding, you were engaged, which was technically married. You were husband and wife. Even though you'd never slept together, you were husband and wife. It was much deeper than our engagements, which is just a promise of. Now, that engagement period, you were not allowed to sleep together. You weren't, you weren't even supposed to be off on your own still. You were supposed to be chaperoned because you weren't even supposed to get to a place where you could uh, lay together. And then during that period of time, the woman would get prepared to move from her parents' house into the husband's house that he's building. And during that period, the husband would build a house and get his business going, or at least a room in his parents' property to, to live on. And so that was what would be going on. So they are named husband and wife, but they're not really husband and wife at this point. They're just engaged. And it doesn't tell us how long they went. I have a feeling that Samson, because he was a Jewish man, went away for about a year to prepare the home to bring his bride back to, because that's what his tradition would have, would have been all about. Build, build a room, build a home, build a business, and then go get your wife. And that means having a great big party and theoretically it meant that you kidnapped your wife from her from her home and took her to your to your family's home but in this case they're, they're celebrating in Philistia so he's not doing it quite the way it would have been done in a Jewish uh, family relationship uh, and probably rightly so because their city is quite the distance between their towns are significant uh, and this is also the picture that we have for us as Christians Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. We are being prepared for our home with the bride, and we are to get ready by being sanctified and learning to live correctly. At the moment of the rapture, Jesus will come and snatch away his bride to go into it, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the seven years of tribulation period where we will be in heaven in a celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. Very, the same picture, same picture, a feast and a great elaborate feast with who knows what food we'll eat in heaven for this feast, but it's going to be a beautiful feast. And, and at the end of that time, we become the bride of Christ and, and become truly married to him, not just named for him. But this is that picture. Samson is having that picture. He has this, has this feast. He's all set to finalize it, and then he gets so mad at the people, he goes and kills 30 guys, he bring, throws them their garments, and he just keeps on walking. Keeps on walking, goes back home. And I don't know what happened to his dad and his mom during this period of time, because it doesn't tell us. Okay? I don't know if they followed him. I don't know if it was a couple hours later that they realized that he wasn't there. Uh, nothing was told to us about this. But Samson keeps going, and he doesn't get his Philistine wife. Uh, she is given to another, and literally one of his companions. <laughs> now, one of the guys that was pretending to be one of his friends for the wedding feast gets the wife. And uh, very, again, very sad story, very uh, devious story. 
but there's going to be ramifications for, the, for them cheating him of his wife. Now, he has the problem because he got angry and walked away, but he's going to take rest, uh, revenge on the people that did this. And we're going to see some big problems with that. I put down his wife sold him out. <laughs> sold him out? <laughs> yeah, she did. She sold him out, yeah. which is not what you would expect your wife to do. Uh, you would hope your family wouldn't do it, but definitely not your wife who's supposed to be intimate with you and, and be, your, be a friend who's going to keep that, keep that for you. And yet, how often do near kin people hurt each other so often? And we see it all the time. People will fight. You know, they'll hold their temper all day at work and not, not blow, off, blow, blow out at people. And then they get home and, and rip their, their spouse apart, rip their kids apart. Why? I guess it's because they're supposed to love you and they're supposed to forgive you if, when you get mad at them. I'm not quite sure why we do it, but we do. Maybe we just feel comfortable. I can get away with it because they love me. Uh, they love me so much, I can, I can mistreat them and they're going to still love me. And then you get mad when they do it back to you. Uh, but you know, we need to be loving one another. We need to be loving our family. We need to be loving the family of God and lifting each other up and being able to love. Jesus said, you will, the, you will know, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. The Christians should love each other so strongly that people see that love, see that it's special. And yet so often the church attacks each other and, and, and abuses each other. And part of that, I'm going to tell you right now, part of it is for us to learn to love back. Because it is real easy to love people who love you. Uh, you know, when somebody's being nice to you, it's easy to love them. If somebody's being nasty to you, they're hard to love, and yet that's exactly who God says to love. Love those who despitefully use you, and that may be within the church. Our job is to love one another, to give grace, to forgive, and it is not easy. It is not easy to love other people, especially when they're being mean and nasty to you. And that is yet the time when we go, God, help me to love this person. The body of Christ is to love one another, encourage one another, to build each other up and to li lift each other up. And we're going to leave this with Samson running away from the, running away from the marriage uh, feast. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and care for us. Lord, teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. Teach us to seek after you and to love one another and to love the body in a, that special way that let others see that you are who you say you are and that you are special. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.